Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. We spend so much of our lives searching for answers, but ultimately none of those answers matter unless we start with the right question. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. Peter and Andrew, James and John had thought that they knew what life was all about. Catching fish, selling them at the market in town, providing for their families, being good Jewish citizens. But then one day as they were busy with their nets along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, their lives were interrupted by Jesus who called them to follow him and learn a whole new kind of fishing, catching people. And wouldn't you know that the first thing Jesus does with his new band of recruits is take them to church and make them listen to a sermon. I like him already. But Jesus doesn't preach just any old sermon. No, he begins to astound the congregation, for he taught them as one having great authority and not as their scribes. The scribes, of course, were the religious professionals who were supposed to have authority. They spent their days copying and teaching the law, and they basically reduced their faith, faith to a list of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. And their sermons were just about doing this and don't doing that. Do wash in this way, don't eat that food. Do offer this kind of sacrifice. Don't do that on the Sabbath. Do vote for this candidate. Don't associate with those people. And all of this had the effect of making worship rather boring 
but predictable, and we like predictable. But then Jesus comes along and starts teaching in a very different way from these scribes, and he causes quite a stir in the congregation. In fact, his sermon was so electrifying that right in the middle of it, a man possessed by a demonic, unclean spirit leaps up and starts screaming at him, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, my sermons have never gotten that kind of reaction before. eh? The totally unfazed, Jesus rebukes this spirit, telling it to shut up and get lost. And after crying out loud, it shook the man violently and fled. And all the visitors who were there that day said, this is a lot more interesting than my church. They must be Pentecostals. Now, you might be wondering, how did a man with an unclean spirit get into church in the first place? I mean, wouldn't the deacons stop him at the door? Uh, we, we certainly don't have people like that in a heart church, do we? I mean, this is IPC after all. We're all very respectable here, aren't we? Well, if you have to ask the question, I'm guessing that you probably don't make it to church all that often. Because if you want to find someone under the power of an unclean spirit, it's not really that hard. Just look around the sanctuary. Or better yet, go and look in the mirror. The truth is all of us have spirits of one sort or another, things that have taken over our lives, that have come to control us, and that cause us to think and act in ways that can only be called unclean. For some of us, our controlling spirit causes us to to climb up that ladder of success and prestige and causes us to abandon our principles and our morals and even our faith along the way. For others of us, it is a spirit of greed that possesses us, causing us to cling to our money and live in fear of losing it, despite the fact that all of it was a gift from God. For some of us, it's a spirit of racism or nationalism, or sexism that causes us to place our lives into a special higher category than some of God's other children. Maybe your controlling spirit is the drinkable type, or the digital type, as you become addicted to unhealthy things on the internet or social media. Or maybe it's just the spirit of jealousy, or resentment, or shame, or lust that holds you captive and that fills you with all kinds of unclean thoughts and feelings, and yet no matter how many times you bathe, that dirty feeling just won't wash away. Now, we don't have to look very far to find someone with an unclean spirit, do we? The problem is, the more these unclean spirits control us, the more resistant we become to Jesus when he is near. 
I actually think this is one of the reasons that many people have a hard time coming to church. His holy presence is just too difficult for us to bear. And Jesus always confronts us in the places in our lives that are most under the control of other spirits. And these unholy spirits always fight back strongly against the Holy One of God. Notice when this spirit in our text came face to face with Jesus in the synagogue. It cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now this is actually the same Semitic idiom we saw a few weeks ago that, that means something like, why are you interfering with us? Leave us alone. Truth is, we really don't want Jesus interfering in our lives, exposing the fact that we are controlled by our money or our politics or our ambition or our lust. And so the closer Jesus gets, the harder we push back until that pressure just builds and builds until eventually our unclean spirit bursts out of the most inopportune places like at school or at work or, in this case, at church. The reality is God's people have always struggled with God's holy presence in their midst. Do you remember back in Exodus when Moses used to go up and talk with God on Mount Sinai or in the tabernacle, when he would come back, his face would glow like the sun, a reflection of the glory of God's presence. And the people were terrified. And so whenever Moses would go and speak with God, they would make him put a veil over his face until the glow faded away. Even the reflection of the glory of the presence of God was too much for them to bear. In his book, The Mediation of Christ, theologian T.F. Torrance discusses how as God drew closer and closer to the people of Israel, the more intensely did their human resistance grow, a resistance that resulted from their sin-induced alienation from God. Torrance writes, the deeper the word of God penetrated into the innermost depths of Israel's existence and embodied itself within it, the more it seemed to burn like fire in Israel's bones, until the great prophets who were burdened with the word of God cried out in agony. Much like this man with the unclean spirit, when he came face to face, with the word made flesh in the synagogue. As a result of this burning discomfort with God's holy presence in our midst, God's people have always developed ways of keeping God at a distance, of preventing the Holy Spirit from taking too much control of our lives and turning them upside down. I mean, after all, we prefer things to stay just the way they are, predictable, comfortable. 
And so we'd really rather Jesus not interrupt our lives with a, a holy passion for the poor and the marginalized, or with a deep commitment to teach our children about Jesus, or with the desire to, to share generously of all the resources God has entrusted to us, or the often frightening call to take a stand for what is right, even when it is unpopular. One of our favorite ways of protecting ourselves against this holy interference is to distract ourselves with the wrong questions. Notice the people's reaction to Jesus in our text. They had just witnessed him confront and defeat a demonic spirit, spirit that challenged him personally right there in the middle of worship. And the best question they can think to ask is, what is this, a new teaching? Really? What is this? They should have been asking, who is this? Who is this man who exudes such a holy authority that even the demons run screaming from him in terror? Ironically, it was the demon alone who understood that what mattered most was not what the teacher was saying, but who that teacher was. And the demon was quite clear about the identity of Jesus. Are you? Who is Jesus Christ? It's the most important question that will ever be asked in your life. And if you get that one wrong, you get everything wrong. Until you are clear about who Jesus really is, you will never understand who you really are and why you were put on this earth. You will continue to wander through life searching for meaning and purpose and fulfillment, but they will elude you. Only Jesus can truly give those things to you, but you've got to be clear about who he is. But we don't really like to ask that question that much because it, it threatens those unclean spirits within us. So like the people of Israel, we tend to focus on the, the what questions instead because as long as we stick with those, our unclean spirits can remain happily in control. The Jewish people did this by coming up with all those rules and regulations the scribes taught about what they should and shouldn't do. If we obsess over a list of do's and don'ts, we can prevent God from doing any real transformation in our lives. Religious piety can be such a powerful defense against God. And notice the people in Israel who were most determined to strictly follow all those rules were the religious leaders, the ones who were in greatest contact with God's word. It was part of their self-defense. And therefore, they not only failed to truly understand the word of God, but they failed to recognize the word made flesh when he stood right in front of them. Likewise, 
So many of the things that we do are really just ways of, of protecting ourselves from the incursions of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a ways of keeping Jesus at a distance. When we focus on the what questions at the expense of the who question, we treat Jesus as just a, a great teacher or example who cannot do anything for us. And we reduce Scripture to just a, a source of information. Thus, following Jesus becomes but a, a way to achieve the life that we've always wanted or to secure for ourselves a more pleasant afterlife. And reading the Bible becomes but a tactic for deducing rules and regulations or coming up with principles for having more success at work or in our marriages or, or just a way to prove that we're right on some issue. But the Word of God is not a tactic. And Jesus is not a what. Some tool that we use to make an agreement with God where we agree to say and do certain things and God gives us eternal life in exchange. No. Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God who came to exercise all the unclean spirits that control us and that have so damaged the image of God within us that we'll do just about anything to resist the interference of Jesus who himself is the image of the invisible God, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, the Word did not become flesh just to give us information about God or a formula for salvation. No, He came to give us God who is our salvation. Jesus came to possess us with His own Spirit that we might have new life, free from all the demonic forces that control us and that make us unclean. Today is the day of Pentecost, the day that the church received the gift of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ and restores the image of God within us, making us clean once again. And it is the Spirit that unites all of us together as one, the body of Christ, and who constantly points us to the truth about who Jesus really is, the incarnate Savior of the world, the eternal Son of God who came to be with us and to die for us so that we might no longer live in fear of death but experience life to the fullest. And it is that Spirit that reminds us of who we really are. Beloved and forgiven children of the Father, heirs of God's coming kingdom, joint heirs with Christ who calls us to follow Him and join Him in His mission to save this world that He was just dying to love. But be very sure you will never know what you are supposed to do with your life until you are clear about who you are and to whom you belong. 
And because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to you in your baptism, you belong to Jesus now and forevermore. Thanks be to God.